Hello, this is Donnie Foster, the pastor of the Journey Church in Fort Worth, Texas. My prayer is the message you are about to hear will be a source of blessing and encouragement in your life. At the conclusion, I'll share a few closing words and a prayer. May the Lord bless you as you listen. This morning, I want to talk to you about the greatest gift that we can give ourselves, the greatest gift we can give ourselves. And I I believe as we begin to talk about that, we can agree on these two statements this morning. Number one, I believe we can agree, agree on the fact that the greatest gift ever given is the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can agree on that. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the greatest gift that we can ever receive is Jesus. And I also believe that we can all agree on this. The greatest way to utilize that gift, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, is first of all to accept it and then to share it with others. Amen, church? 1 Thessalonians 2.8, it's our discipleship verse. It says, so being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel, uh, only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And that's all about sharing the gospels and giving ourselves to others to help people grow in Christ. So we can agree that Jesus is the greatest gift that we can receive, and he is the greatest gift that we can give to others. Those two truths are well known amongst God's people. But what I want to discuss today is once we know Jesus Christ as Savior, and once we receive him, and once we know the joy of sharing Jesus with others, what's the greatest gift that we can give ourselves? And I believe the answer to that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. So if you've got your Bibles turned there, I want you to mark this verse. And if you're a highlighter or a note taker, you know, highlight it on your Bible app, um, highlight in your Bible, underline it, circle the verse, whatever you've got to do, because I believe this is a verse that is a gift to us. It's a gift to us from God. And here's what's going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's known as the great resurrection chapter. Paul is addressing the fact that once we, are, we trust Christ as Savior, it guarantees that there's going to be a resurrection one of these days. The, the dead in Christ are going to rise when Jesus steps out on a cloud and calls his church home. And the Bible says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall not sleep, but we shall all be changed. We're going to be made immortal. We're going to have uh, freedom from the curse of sin. It's a powerful, powerful chapter, and it's really good news. And you can imagine being in the first century, being some of the original followers of Christ, and having Paul come to your town and preach, and people get saved, and he organizes a church, and he, they ordain some pastors, and they set up some deacons, and they get some, some teachers together, and you start organizing and meeting together, and you start learning these great truths, and then Paul receives from the Holy Spirit all this truth that he sends back to this church in this letter. And to go through 1 Corinthians 15, I'm telling you, by the time they got to verse 58, they're shouting. They're excited. They're going, are you kidding me? This is what's going to happen one of these days? We're all going to be changed. We're all going to be immortal. We're all going to have eternal. This is incredible how it's all being described. And you get down to verse 58, and then Paul says this, Therefore, given all of that information about what Jesus or what God has done, is doing, and is going to do in the future, therefore, with all that in mind, my beloved brothers, he says, be steadfast, be immovable, always make sure that you are abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you should all know 
that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And this one verse this morning, I believe that we can find, we can find an incredible gift. Based on this verse, I believe the greatest gift that we can give ourselves, not just at Christmas, but all year long, and that's why I said make sure you underline this verse, highlight it, keep track of it. <clears throat> the greatest gift that we can give ourselves, I believe, is to be involved in work. And I define work as just our life business, the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, that we can be involved in work that we know is not in vain. And that word vain is simply defined as being empty or without purpose. I want you to think about this morning. We all have to work. Can I just get an oh me? Right? We all have to work. We all have to. Um, we either are working at a job or working at home. And let's just be honest, most of us are working both places, right? I mean, it doesn't, doesn't end. We don't just get to clock out at work and then go home and sit, I mean, clock out at, at, at work and then come home and sit around and just do nothing. Now there's always something to do. We're always working at something. Work is a huge aspect of our lives. We're always working at or on something. We're constantly engaged in what I'd like to call the business of life. It just never stops. Can I get an amen this morning that laundry never ceases, right? I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I'm blessed because I've done one load of laundry in 30 years being married to Karen Foster, and it's not because I'm not willing to. It's after I did it, she said, never again, young man, never again. I I'll take care of this. You're bad at it. You're bad at it. So I'm very blessed in that area, but I know this, it never stops. It just seems like that hamper, uh, it, you know, it's full and then it's empty. I'm like, oh, cool, laundry's done. It's like two days later, where did all this stuff come from? You know, and I sympathize with her about that. But it just never stops. It just keeps on going and going and going. Can I also say this? I think you agree with me that the grass in our lawn never stops growing, does it? I mean, it just continues to go. I don't know if you're like me, but, man, I love me some lawn, I do. I'm just a. I, I do. Growing up, I always. I know Brother DJ does too. But growing up, I just always wanted when I was older to have this perfectly manicured Saint Augustine, thick, plush. And people that scout their Saint Augustine, I drive by and go, "Look at those knuckleheads! It should be nice and thick and plush, so you walk through and it gets between your toes." Come on, anybody? Anybody feeling that this morning? Come on, right? I love it, but I get it, sometimes I get it all done, and man, I get it fertilized, I get it watered, I get it trimmed, and I get the leaf blower out. Sometimes I go across the street and just look at it, and I'm like, I'm like, look at that lawn. That's a good-looking lawn. I'm giving glory to God because it's not me. I don't have a green. The only thing I can grow is weeds. God's just good to me, but sometimes I get it all done, and then three days later, boom, I got to do it again. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Come on, Texas. Can you just sun go away, rain stop for a little while? You'd agree with me also, the house continually needs upgrades, right? Come on, homeowners, right? You buy this house, like, that's my dream house, man. I love it. It's perfect just the way it is. Six months later, you got, we got to change some cabinets. Six months later, we got to change those countertops. Six months later, we got to change all these light fixtures. Six months later, we got to get rid of this flooring. What's going on? Going to get an amen, right? And it just goes on and on and on. And on and on and on. It just never stops. Listen, have you ever noticed that <laughs> vehicles always break down at the most inopportune time? Right? 
I, listen, I always go over to John Allen's shop to take care of my, uh, my vehicles, shameless plug for him this morning, but never one time, and sometimes I just drive by there to say hi to John or, or Pam or whoever's working over there that we know, just for the heck of it. I'm just drive in and say hi. I don't need anything, but never one time on one of those trips to say hi has my car broken down as I'm pulling into the parking lot. I mean, that would just work out great, right? If it worked out that way, nay, nay. <laughs> it's always on a trip. It's always in the middle of nowhere. It's always on a cold morning. It's always on a hot afternoon. You know, that car's always break down at an inopportune. It just never stops. And have you noticed this? Oh, that our bosses always want more from us. Mason and DJ, come on, right? Amen. I mean, <laughs> yeah, our bosses always, there's always deadlines. There are always goals. There are always quotas. There are always rules and regulations and, and procedures and things that have to be met. It just never stops. And the truth is, have you ever asked this question? And I think we all have. What's it all for? What do we do all this for? And, and I really believe this. If we can't see an end result, we can't see an end result, if we cannot accomplish something satisfactory from our labors, then why in the world are we engaging in this business of life? And I believe we often ask ourselves, what's the purpose of all this? Why do I keep doing all this laundry? You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. If I was in charge of laundry at my house several times throughout the year, it would just conveniently disappear, if you guys know what I'm talking about, right? We'd just be donating that, burning it. We'd be getting rid of it. Some would be saying, hey, where's my blue shirt? I have no idea. Did you put it in the laundry? Yes. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you left it at school, but it's not here. You know what I'm saying? Uh, sometimes we just ask ourselves, what's it all for? Why are we doing this? That's the question we often ask ourselves. But this morning, I believe the real question should be this. What if, what if we began to view our life business, everything that we do, all the things that we have to do, all the things that we need to do, all the things that we choose to do, what if we began to view our life business through the lens of it being done for the Lord and for the benefit of his kingdom? What if we began to view life that way? And you say, Pastor, you were just talking about laundry. I don't think that's possible. Let me just prove it to you. What if when we did laundry, while we're sorting socks and folding towels and all that good stuff, what if we prayed for those who would see our family in those clothes? That those people would see our family as people in their lives that are there to help and serve and encourage. Suddenly doing laundry has a whole new purpose. Listen, you never know when you're going to need to grab a clean shirt out of the closet and run and minister to others. And what if we were already prayed up beforehand? Suddenly, laundry's not just a chore, it's part of kingdom business. What if when we mowed the lawn, it was in preparation to have others over to our house for discipleship or to have conversations about life with neighbors or to teach our kids the value of taking care of what God has given us. You know, I was talking about laundry, and I mentioned my wife um, takes care of that for us. I'm so thankful for that. It's not because I'm not willing. I'm just bad at it. I'm just not good at it. But I'm so thankful. There's been so many times when I've heard her at 11 o'clock jump up and go, 
I got to go wash that blue shirt. And I'm like, what for? Gavin's going to need it tomorrow, or Brock's going to need it, or DJ's going to need this, or Savannah's going to need this. I've got to go get that taken care of. And I'm like, we're already in bed. We're already watching our programs, all right? I'm getting old. I watch programs, all right? And, and, and what's going on here? What's the deal? And, and she gets up, and she takes care of it, and she gets back in bed, and she's like, ah, and there's this relief, this peace on her mind. I'm like, you know what? That's, that's what it's all about. When I think about my lawn, I always think about my dad. Growing up, <clears throat> one of the houses that we lived in over in Mesquite on 208 South Carmack Street, man, we had this big, beautiful lawn with St. Augustine grass, big, big pecan tree. There was a porch swing underneath the pecan tree, and, and when I got old enough, it was my job to take care of the lawn and mow it and mow it a certain way, if you know what I'm talking about. But in the summer and the evening, it would be hot, and when I got done, my dad was always in the porch swing, and I'd go over, and I'd sit, and we'd swing, and we'd just talk about life. He'd always tell me things like, hey, when you grow up, make sure you take care of your lawn. Make sure you mow your grass. Make sure that it looks good. You want your wife one day to pull up and go, man, my yard looks good. Want your neighbors to go, hey, I'm glad to live next door to Donnie Foster. And, I, you know, when, when you're 12, you're like, Dad, can I just go play Nintendo? You know, it was Atari back then, you know. Can I just go play baseball? And he was, no, 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 sit and listen to me, son. This is important. And to him, it was kingdom business. Think about this. What if when we upgrade or fix things around our house, we do so knowing that one day our grandkids will be in that house, knowing that we're constantly inviting over new friends to share a meal, or if we treated our homes like a place of refuge that God has given us to refuel for another day of serving him, then we're not just making upgrades to make ourselves feel better, but it's kingdom business. I learned this lesson from a couple in Madisonville that we had the privilege of ministering to for 10 years, Mike and Margaret Wojcicki. And my family will tell you they had the coolest house I think I've ever been in. I've been in a lot of great houses through the years. I, I've visited some mansions and places, and I'm just like, wow, this is incredible. If I got, had to choose a place, I think I'd choose the Wojcicki's house in Madisonville to live in. Just loved it. When you walked in, you know, I, I, I didn't like the color, but they had like this plush purple carpet all throughout their downstairs. And I thought, purple carpet, what's the deal with this? And they were like, hey, do you mind taking off your shoes, taking off your shoes? You're walking like, ooh, I liked it. It was like memory foam everywhere, you know. And I'm like, where'd you get this? This is cool. And there were just knickknacks everywhere. And then they took us upstairs and showed us upstairs, and, and there was these big rooms and an extra bathroom and a playroom. And I'm like, Y'all live here by yourself. Why do you have a playroom? And why do you have an extra room? And why is there all this bathroom? Oh, we built that so when missionaries come, they'll have a nice place to stay for free. So anytime missionaries come to the church, Pastor, you just send them over here. We'll treat it like a bed and breakfast. We'll take care of everything. You know what I learned? That making your house look nice and inviting and hospitable, it's not just for you. It's kingdom business, right? It's kingdom business. What if each time God provided us the means to fix our vehicles, instead of being like, I just saved up that money, now i got to spend it. What if we praised him because it meant now we're able to pick up others and bring them to church? Or give rides home for our kids, friends that may not have a ride late at night. Or provide a safe place for the elderly when we take them to the doctor. I tell you, I always think about my grandfather. I think about this. My grandfather was a pastor for over 40 years. 
And he always had the big four-door preacher car sedan, all right? Always had, I remember he had a big blue Chevy Chevrolet Classic, and it was four doors. The thing was a boat. It was as long as a Cadillac. It was huge. Bench, bench seats in the front and in the back, you know, and it was just, every time you got in it, no matter how old it was, it still smelt new. I don't know how he pulled that off, probably because he didn't have kids to eat french fries, you know, in the back seat. But I loved getting in there with him, and I loved spending the night with my grandparents on Saturday night or going home with them on church afterwards on Sunday mornings because it meant we were going to pick somebody up for church on the way there or take someone, someone home on the way going back to our homes. And I always remember that, that, that they would always get in the car, and he would greet them, and he always took good care of his car. And I know now why. It's because he knew he was going to have the opportunity to pick people up, bring them to church, give people rides places. He would take people to the doctor, to doctor's visits, takes people to the post office, whatever they needed. He saw taking care of his car as kingdom business. Hey, what if we looked at our jobs? We talked earlier about the fact that it seems like the boss always wants more. But what, and by the way, I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm preaching to Donnie. If you're getting something out of it, all right, I'm glad. Amen, this morning. But I don't think I'm getting after you this morning. I'm, I, I, I'm asking me and I'm asking all of us, what if we started doing this? What if we looked at our jobs as opportunities to earn money, yes, to provide for our family, but also to give towards the work of the Lord? I mean, meeting deadlines and goals provides new opportunities, and hopefully meeting all those deadlines and goals means come uh, evaluation time, you're going to get a big raise, right? Amen? Come on, right? Oh, I, money's above y'all. Y'all don't need raises, all right? <laughs> Come on, right? Amen? That's what we want there. Yeah, that's fantastic. We want those things. And, and think, what if it was kingdom business, though? There's a couple in our church, I won't share their name, but they're here this morning, and they came to me a while back, and one of them had just got a new job, and one of them just got a promotion. And they said, you know, we both got raises, and, and they were so excited. I'm so happy for you. And they were just elated, and, and there was joy in their face. And you know what they said? Yeah, it means we can tithe more. And I thought, wow, I almost started to cry. I was like, that's when you start thinking about your job as kingdom business. What if that was the normal way of thinking when it came to uh, our jobs and our careers? So I'll repeat the question this morning. What if everything we did was done through the lens of it somehow being connected to the work of the Lord? And I believe it can be. And I believe it should be. At the same time, there are also things that kind of creep into our life that sometimes we need to eliminate. And when we have those things in our lives that we don't really see fruit from, sometimes we need to eliminate those so that we can see everything we're doing as kingdom business. I'll give you a great example in my own life, just be transparent for a moment. Uh, several years ago, I used to play a lot of golf. Man, I love playing golf. I played 30, 35 rounds a year or more. Uh, man, I was working on my golf game. I was getting my average score down, just enjoying it. My two younger kids is all we had. I'm two older kids is all we had at the time, and they were in school, and and so we just had some extra free time, and and finally had a little extra money, and I, I took up this hobby. Man, I was enjoying it. Then all of a sudden, the third child came along and went from like 30 rounds a year down to about 20, and the fourth child came along, and I was just good to get those clubs out and dust them off a couple times a year. And it just became a chore to play golf. And I began to realize it took time away from my younger boys, and it cost me opportunities to purchase things they needed. And here's what happened. The fruit of playing golf just dissipated in my life. 
There was a time where it was very beneficial for me, for me, but it just dissipated. So you know what? I stopped playing. And one day I might start playing again, but for now, golf just doesn't bring fruit into my life, at least not enough to warrant uh, you know, the time and investment. But here's the deal. When I was playing golf a lot, I would do everything I could to avoid coaching little league sports, all right, within a little town. And I always had this excuse, oh, that guy or this lady, they're, you know, they're better coaches than I am. They've got it. You know, they don't really need me. Plus, it takes away from my golf game, right, you know. And, and I've got plenty of time. I can spend some time with my kids. I can watch them play. But here's the deal. When I stopped playing golf, it was, it was crazy. I, suddenly, I had extra time to spend you know, with my, with my kids. I had a lot of extra money that I used to spend on clubs and green fees, and now I could allocate that towards baseballs and bats and gloves and things like that. And not only that, but I was needing to get creative on how to spend time with my younger boys, so I said, you know what? I'm going to start coaching them. And once I quit golf, I had that extra time. And along the way, here's the deal, coaching for so many years, I've got to meet a lot of people that I otherwise would have never interacted with when I was playing golf. Golf is an isolation game. It's usually the same people, same group, over and over again. Coaching Little League is anything but an isolation game, all right? In other words, you're going to get to meet every angry, angry parent in the community, amen? <laughs> and you're going to get all their kids on, their, on your team, you know? That's just how it works. But you know what? I used to choose to play golf. The Lord convicted me of it and said, listen, there's no fruit in this anymore. Start doing this thing you've been avoiding. And now I choose to coach. Coaching provides fruit. I have the chance to create a safe, encouraging, yet challenging environment in the lives of young kids. And what yielded no fruit at one point in time was pruned from my life. And now God's put something in there that bears great fruit. Now, here's the point to that. The point is this. Getting back to the original topic of the message, the greatest gift, the best gift we can give ourselves is to ensure that our life business bears fruit. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says. Because of all these great things God has done, always be steadfast, always be immovable, always be abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's a gift. In fact, James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lies, with whom there's no variation of shadow due to change. I love this. This verse teaches us that everything we have comes from the Lord. Our lives, our homes, our families, our careers, our health, our possessions, our passions, they're all from the Lord. And the best way we can say thanks to God is to make sure the things that we engage in bear fruit for the kingdom. So here's the take home this morning, all right? So if you're a note taker, take down these three gifts right here or take a picture of them when they flash up on the screen this morning. Get this down. The greatest gift we can give ourselves, like we said, is to ensure our life business bears fruit. Here's how we do it by unwrapping three gifts this morning, and I'm done. The first one is the knowledge that everything we do can be done for the Lord. It's a knowledge Paul said, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. you got to know it. you got to think about it. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the two uh, mason workers, the two stone layers that were rebuilding London after a fire, and someone walked up to one of these stone masons and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building bricks. 
And he walked up to the other one doing the exact same job and says, what are you doing, sir? And he says, I'm building cathedrals. See, it's all about a perspective in life. What are we doing? Are we just making bricks or are we building cathedrals? And I'm going to tell you this morning that when we engage in activities and things that bear fruit for the kingdom, oh, we're not making bricks. We're building cathedrals. Even the little things matter. That's the first gift. Unwrap that this morning, this knowledge that everything we do can be done for the glory of the Lord. It can be done for the kingdom. We have to see it through the right lens. The second thing that we need to give ourselves is the freedom. Unwrap the freedom this morning to eliminate things from our life that don't bring us spiritual satisfaction. Even good things like golf. Now, by the way, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with playing golf. I still love golf. One day I'd love to pick it back up again, but I just don't have the time, the energy, uh, the resources. It's just not a part of my life right now. One day it may be, but that's okay because I found something else. I eliminated that and found something else that, that brought spiritual satisfaction. And sometimes we have to look at what we're doing, and it's not always bad things. Sometimes it's good things. Certain hobbies, we just need to reevaluate regularly, regularly what's going on in our lives. And it's okay to say, you know what? I need to eliminate this thing. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not bearing any fruit. I'm going to change what I'm doing and see if I can gr gain greater satisfaction in another, another uh, life business, if you will. And the third thing that we need to unwrap to make sure that our life business bears fruit is the satisfaction. Unwrap and understand the satisfaction of being a part of something that cannot fail. You know what cannot fail? The work of the Lord. The work of the Lord. The Bible says that his word will not return to him void. It will not. Every time we engage in spiritual activity, every time we share our faith with somebody, every time we act like Jesus when everybody else is acting like the world, man, every time we do something according to God's word, it has a strong benefit. We may not see it this side of heaven. And, and I really believe this, that once we get to heaven and once we're in glory, we're going to start engaging in stories and learning things that just the tiny little things we did on earth that we thought were mundane, boy, they had a huge impact on others for eternity. You see, when we all, when we view all we do, when we view all we do, even the mundane, and we do a lot of mundane things, come on, right? Do a lot of mundane things. But when we do all, when we view all that we do, even the mundane properly, when we see it through the right lens, if you will, we eliminate and we eliminate what doesn't bear fruit, then suddenly everything that we're doing has an eternal purpose. When we see what we're doing the right way, when we eliminate the things that aren't bringing spiritual satisfaction, suddenly everything has an eternal purpose. You know, so much of what we do when viewed in the proper perspective really is productive for the kingdom. And I know I've harped on laundry a whole lot. Listen, I can't tell you how many times I've been out in the yard working and, I, and I've got on, you know, a pair of shorts and a dirty T-shirt and then I get a phone call. And there's something going on. There's a tragic situation. Someone needs help. And I've got to run in, quick change, you know, get on some khakis, get on some jeans, throw on a polo, comb the hair really quick, and bam, I'm out the door. I couldn't do that. The laundry wasn't clean and ready. There's been so many times where I've been able to be with people quickly because 
of just the fact that the laundry was taken care of. And I know it just seems mundane, but oh man, how powerful it can be if we start looking at everything in the proper perspective that it can be productive for the kingdom. Now let me say this as we wrap this up this morning. Salvation is a gift that we must accept. Amen? It's available for all, but we have to accept it. Come on, this side of the church, give me an amen right here. Y'all with me? Amen, absolutely. Salvation is a gift that we must accept, but I'm thankful it's freely given to all. Woohoo! Amen? I'm thankful for that. Man, that, that's salvation. It, it, we've got to accept it, but it's readily available for all of us. But listen, the gift of knowing that our labor is not in vain, well, that's a gift that we have to continually give ourselves. We have to continually unwrap that gift, the gift that is 1 Corinthians 15, 58, every time we feel like we're in a rut, every time we're struggling. And by the way, let me just tell you, this does not come natural. I think we can all agree with that. It doesn't come natural for any of us. It's difficult. It's hard. But that's the great truth in that verse and knowing, all right, if I see it through the right perspective, and I'm eliminating those things that don't really bring me that spiritual satisfaction, then all of a sudden, bam, what I'm doing has eternal significance. It requires some self-examination from, from time to time as well, but that's okay. Now, I'm about to do something I've never done as far as I know in a sermon ever. I'm about to quote Aristotle. All right. I don't think I've ever quoted Aristotle before, but I want to quote Aristotle this morning. Uh, I don't know enough about Aristotle to say whether or not we should quote him all the time. This is a good quote, all right? He said this, Work is evidently not the good we are seeking, for it is merely useful and for the sake of something else. That's a great quote. Surely, guys, we aren't doing laundry because we enjoy sorting through dirty clothes. And if you do, you are weird. Amen? <laughs> we do laundry because clean clothes are useful and for the sake of something else. We don't go to work because it's more fun than playing golf or going hunting or, or shopping all day. I know, no, that's not right. We go to work because it's useful and it's for the sake of something else. What I want to reveal to you this morning is that as followers of Christ, that something else that Aristotle was talking about, whether, I, whether he realized it or not, that something else that he was talking about is the work of the Lord. Kingdom business. Hey, guys, write this down this morning. Don't miss this. You've missed everything, out I've, everything else I've said. Get this. When we do all that we do for the glory of God, all that we do has an eternal purpose. And when all we do is eternally valuable, we too are invaluable in God's grand plan for man. Let me say it again. When we do all that we do for the glory of God, all that we do has eternal purpose. And when, we do, when, when, we, when all that we do is eternally valuable, then we too are invaluable in God's grand plan for man. You know what's wrong with our world today? You know why marriages are failing? You know why suicide is on the rise? You know why depression is on the rise? You know why dissatisfaction in life is on the rise? Because we're not adhering to this truth right here. Maybe you are, and I hope you are. I think a lot of you are. Probably most of you are, but most of our world is not. We would agree with that. So where does the world have to learn it? They've got to learn it from us. When everybody else is freaking out and we still have 
peace and joy that passes all understanding. That's when people go, ah, what do you have that I don't have? Is it a drug? Can I get some? And you're like, no, 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 no. It's, it's not in pill form. It's in spiritual form, and it's the truth and the knowledge of God's Word that I learned through accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. And not only that, but I've made it this point in my life to make sure all that I do is for the glory of God. And when things creep in, even good things creep in that aren't really bearing fruit, well, I really do my, my best to eliminate from my, that from my life. I, I'm not perfect at it. I still make mistakes and sometimes get off base too. But, man, when I get back on track, whoo, I just realize and understand that I am invaluable in the kingdom of heaven. And when I start understanding that I am invaluable in the kingdom of heaven, suddenly depression, gone. Thoughts of suicide, gone relationship struggles began to dissipate. I began to get my life on track. You know why? Because I know something. I know something important. I know that my labor is not in vain when I do it in the Lord. Amen? So let's Christmas. Let's, let's give ourselves the gift of doing all we do with the knowledge, freedom, and satisfaction that comes from being an invaluable asset of the kingdom of God. The next time something feels mundane in your life, open up this gift. Just go to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Read the whole chapter first. You'll get excited. Your blood pressure will rise a little bit. You'll want to bounce around a little bit in your, in your chair while you're reading it, you know, and, and then get down to verse, 15, or verse 58 and just open that gift and realize everything we do when done for the Lord has value. Let me be honest with you. I've struggled with what, with how to, kind of wrap up this message this morning. Um, I struggled with several different illustrations, but Lord led me back to something I was talking about a moment ago, baseball. And I will tell you something about baseball and softball players. And all the baseball and softball players in the room I know will agree with me. And this applies perfectly to what we're talking about this morning. But there are two things every baseball player and every softball player are sentimental about, and that's their glove and their bats. Come on, right? Baseball, softball players? Well, let, me, let me prove it to you, all right? I've got my old glove here this morning, and I say it's old because look at the webbing. It's come apart right there. Before I play with this again, I've got to get that thing fixed. But the truth is, when I put this glove on, I'm not 50 years old. I'm 17. And I'm in high school, and I'm playing center field for the Weatherford Kangaroos, baby. And I'm out there, and I'm ready. I mean, I just I feel it. I'm like, hit me some ground balls. I'm ready to go. When I put this glove on, it just feels good in my hand. Kids are so sentimental about their gloves. But I'll tell you, it's heartbreaking when you're coaching 12-year-olds, and that 12-year-old still has the same glove from when he was 8 years old. And it's heartbreaking because they're always talking about how great their glove was, and Mama bought the glove, or Daddy gave it to them, or Grandpa gave it to them, or it's passed down from Big Brother, and they're out there trying to catch balls, and it's, you know, it's falling out, and I'm like, man, that glove's too small. And it breaks my heart sometimes because... First time I had this conversation, I was like, you need to get a bigger glove, boy. And they're like, but my dad gave me this glove. You know, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> Kids cry now. <laughs> you know, they didn't used to. They cry a lot now. So here we go. All right, let me change this. Boy, tell me about that glove. Tell me about that story. But you know what? You know, a great way also to, uh, you know, to honor your dad and, and your mom is to go to him and tell him how much you appreciate this glove. And, boy, it's, it's done you well. And, but, man, I've outgrown it. You know, can we, can we move on to a little bit bigger glove, you know, and give them a little bit different way to think about it? And uh, there have been many times when I put my arm around a kid and went over to mom and dad and said, hey, 
time to get a bigger glove. Or sometimes kids gets too big of a glove. They <laughs> need a smaller glove, but they're sentimental about their gloves. Right, ball players? <laughs> We're sentimental about our gloves. Man, we love our gloves. A bat's the same way, man. A bat is so, and I, I chose just an old blue bat. This reminds me of my childhood right here because when we were kids, we didn't have aluminum bats or metal bats or whatever they're made of, titanium, uh, vibranium. I have no idea. But anyway, we just had wooden bats, you know, when I was a kid. And I didn't, I didn't have a metal bat until I got in high school. And man, I thought it was for rich kids. But we would take bats and we would sand them down. We'd paint them, you know, and we'd do all kinds of stuff with them. This old blow bat reminds me when I was a kid. Everybody got the free bat giveaway from the Texas Rangers, you know, or you sold candy bars and you'd have your own bat. But bats are sentimental. Man, there's been a lot of times of the years where a kid would show up, and I'm telling you, this every single year I've coached, a kid does this, and usually multiple kids. They come running out of the car, coach, 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 got a new bat, got a new bat, got to show him a new bat. Boy, they whip out that bat, and they're showing me the bat. And sometimes I'm like, that's a good bat. Every once in a while, I'm like, kid, that bat's way too big for you. <laughs> You're going to have a hard time swinging that, that big old piece of lumber. But you know what? I work with them. I try. You know, sometimes I'm wrong, you know. Sometimes that bat's too small, and I'm like, mm, kid, that was last year's bat, you know. Or maybe it's a bat they've had a long time. Brother or sister's passed it down to them, you know, and they just, they just want to use it. And I just know it's not the right bat for them. And I have to have that tough conversation. And it is. It's difficult sometimes. But we're sentimental about these things. But here's the deal. Long way to say this this morning. When you get a kid the right glove and you get a kid the right bat, so much more apt to be effective on the playing field. You see, a kid will have that sm glove is too small, make a few errors, they can't figure it out. You get them the right glove, and suddenly that ground ball comes up the middle, and they have that perfect crossover, bend over, pick up that ball, turn, and fire to first base. And the umpire calls them out, and there's just that sheer joy and satisfaction that comes over them. You know the first thing a ball player does? Looks down at the glove. Yeah, that's my glove right there. All right, I'm in, you know. After you've had that conversation with them about using a different bat, and they step into the batter's box, and boy, they pick that perfect pitch, hit it out in the gap. They get that stand-up double, and they're on second base. And I'm coaching third, and they look over at me, and they're like, you, you, you knew it, coach. You know it. That's right. That's the greatest bat in the world, you know. They're just on fire for baseball, you know, and it's exciting to see that. But here's the deal. Those kids wouldn't be passionate about the glove and the bat if they didn't see it through the right perspective and know that the right bat and the right glove can help them be effective on the playing field. You got your spiritual ears on this morning? See, we're not carrying around a bat and a glove. We're carrying around all the things that we do every day. But in a sense, it's our glove and it's our bat. And if we realize that everything that we do is like a tool on the playing field. It's like a tool in the garage. It's like a, an effective tool in the office. If we realize that everything that we do has a significant part in the kingdom of God, the right lens, it's significant. And when things creep in and suddenly that bat's too small or too big or that glove is too small or it's too large or it's worn out, we need to get a new one. It's okay. We have the freedom in Christ to say, you know what? I'm going to lay this aside. But I'm not going to stop doing, I'm not going to stop playing because my glove's too small, my bat's too big. I'm going to get a different bat. I'm going to get a better glove. I'm going to learn to be effective. But then what happens is that satisfaction of making the play, of hitting the ball, 
of knowing that everything we're doing in life has significance. But we've got to see it the right way. We've got to eliminate the things that don't bear fruit. And then we'll experience that great satisfaction. Would you agree with me as church? That's a great gift to give ourselves. Amen? Thank you for listening to this message. Our goal is to reach people all over the globe with the good news of God's Word. If you would like to partner with us by making a donation, visit our website at journey-church.com. That's journey-church.com on a PC or laptop and simply click on the Donate tab on our homepage. By partnering with us, you will help us reach the world for the cause of Christ. Allow me to pray for you. Lord, I pray you bless those who have heard your word today. May you also bless their family and those whom you place in their paths. I ask it all in Jesus' name. 